So turn with me to Job chapter number 1. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answering the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I want you to notice again verse 20. The Bible says... Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for this privilege that it is to gather in your house. Now, Lord, we come needful this evening. Father, we have need of hearing from you. 
Lord, we've not just come to, to put a check mark beside a responsibility. We've not just come tonight, Lord, uh, that we might say we've been, but we've come tonight hungry and in need of something from You. So, Father, inasmuch as Your table is full, inasmuch as Your pantries are bursting, inasmuch, Lord, as Your coffers are overflowing, we ask, Lord, that You dip into that which You have and that You'd bless us and help us and feed us and strengthen us by Your Word. Lord, we love You tonight. And we expectingly look for these things to happen, not because of us, but because they'll bring glory to Your Son. Lord, we love You, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As you read the account of the book of Job, we understand that the book of Job is the oldest book uh, recorded in the Word of God. We know that the book of uh, Genesis records older things, but the book of Job very likely was the first one which the Holy Ghost put pen to paper upon and recorded a narrative for us. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that God chose to talk about was human suffering? People say, you know, why is it that people suffer and God doesn't care anything about it? I'd say to you that the book of Job is proof that God does care about our suffering. He's aware of the things we go through. He's sensitive to the needs that we have. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Uh, Most of us are quite familiar with what takes place in this first and second chapter. If we've not read any other portion, we've at least read the first two. We know that everything does turn out well for Job, but I want you to remember that Job doesn't know that yet. Uh, We understand that the end of Job will be better than the beginning of Job, that his latter end will be greater than his beginning. We understand that when Job closes out the narrative of his life, uh, that he's got children bouncing on his needs and uh, great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. We understand he dies uh, and he's full of days and of wealth and of good health. We understand that all this happens, but Job doesn't understand that yet. As we read what is taking place in his life, Job has every reason to believe that his darkest days are here. And he has every reason to believe that never again will he see the sunshine of God's blessedness upon his life. He has every reason to believe he'll never feel the warmth of God's favor and countenance upon him. He has every reason to believe that those graves that he stands beside are merely waiting for his own to be placed beside them. Job has every reason to believe his life is going to end in misery. And when he faces this attack, I am fascinated by the way that he faces it. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you there's three things that Job does when faced with this attack. And if the Lord will help us to, we'll preach on them for the next few Sunday nights. Uh, We find that he uh, shaves his head in chapter 1 and he rends his mantle and he falls down on the ground and he worships. Uh, Let me say that tonight, if the Lord will help us, we're going to preach on the wisdom of worship when we come under attack. In the next place, when he learns uh, that, uh, that his wife has uh, given up upon uh, his, uh, his relationship with the Lord, when sores cover his body from head uh, to foot, and when his uh, life seems to be in pieces and his health is shattered, we find that Job sits down and he takes a potsherd and he begins to scrape upon his flesh. Let me say that we want to preach on the purpose of the potsherd. And if the Lord will help us to, in a couple Sunday nights, I believe that we can preach on the assurance of the ashes. I want us to notice a few things about the attack that Job was engaged in. And and you know these things already, but I want to share them with you. I want to remind you of them. Let me say by way of introduction just three things about this attack. Let me say first off that this was a satanic attack. 
Now, I understand that satanic attacks don't always come in the forms of, uh, of vases flying across the room or in the form of uh, something supernatural or, or, or something phenomenal taking place. Again, I'm not discounting those things, uh, but we need to understand that that's not always the form in which satanic oppression and satanic attacks take place. Now, there's some that would say, oh, preacher, I don't believe in that nonsense. Well, what? The Word of God? Is there any doubt that Satan set his hand against Job? If we believe the Word of God, can there be any doubt that Satan was not just persecuting those that know God? He wasn't just persecuting those that gave sacrifices. He wasn't just persecuting those that called upon the name of the Lord. But Satan had Job's name on his mind. We understand that satanic attack is a very real thing. You need to understand that truth. When you don't know who the enemy is and you don't know what the attack is, you're prone to be open for attack. Let me tell you what the most concerning thing... We could talk a lot about politics. You know what the most concerning thing to me that my president says is? Is that our greatest national security threat is climate change. Climate change. We had, Listen, somebody walked into a theater two days ago and shot and killed 120 people in cold blood and were worried about the polar ice caps. Stop and think about that for a minute. Let me tell you something. The whole rest of the world looks at what's going on in our country and scratches their head. The whole rest of the world looks at what's going on and wonders why America is blind to the threat that's in front of them. It's dangerous to not specify who your enemy is. Somebody say amen to that. That's, uh, that's true, isn't it? I didn't come to make friends. I came to give you truth tonight. That's true. It's dangerous to not know who your enemy is. Amen. One of the greatest dangers you can make in your Christian walk is to think that bad things happen for no reason. The, the lesson of the book of Job is not that bad things happen for no reason. If you got that from the book of Job, you need to go back and read it again. The lesson of the book of Job is not that bad things happen for no reason. The lesson of the book of Job is that bad things always happen for a reason. That God is always doing something in the midst of our turmoil and affliction. It was a satanic attack. There's no doubt about that. But let me say, not only was it a satanic attack, but it was a sovereign attack. Look at this exchange that takes place. This always fascinated with me. If you've got a Schofield, you'll have to turn back a page. But look what it says. Verse number 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Let me ask you something. Who was it that pointed Job out? Was it Satan or was it God? God pointed Job out. Satan says, I've been walking up and down. I've been taking stock of your creation, God. I've been walking up and down examining these people that claim they love you so much. And God said, have you seen Job? Notice what it says. It says, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But... Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
Let me tell you something. There's nothing that happened in the life of Job that God didn't know about. There's nothing that happens in your life but what God knows about it. Now, you may not think that's fair. You may not know how to figure it or what to do with that, but it's true. Anything that happens in your life, God's aware of it. He knows what's going on. He knows what's taking place. He knows the things that bother you. He knows the things that burden you. He knows the things that afflict you. And understand that every attack that comes upon you, you may say, Preacher, I brought this upon myself. You may have brought it upon yourself, but that don't mean you did it apart from God's providence. It was a sovereign attack. Sometimes we get this idea that, uh, we, you know, if we draw a martyr complex upon ourselves and say, well, you know, Satan's just out to get me, that somehow we can really have a sad and sorry story. Satan may be out to get you, but don't forget, it ain't him who has the ultimate say over your life. Job had to come to God, or uh, Satan had to come to God to talk about Job. And he comes to him and he says, Lord, you put forth your hand against Job. You put forth your hand against Job. Don't ever make the mistake, inasmuch as we identify that these are satanic attacks, of thinking that they are apart from the sovereign purpose and nature of God. God knows what's going on. Don't ever think God's forgot about you. Don't ever think that God doesn't know what's taking place in your life. God is aware of everything that you're going through. Let me say these were satanic attacks and sovereign attacks. Let me say these were spiritual attacks. You see, the real warfare that was going on wasn't going on down at the graveyard where he buried his children. The real warfare that was going on wasn't going on in the bands of the Sabians or the Chaldeans. The real warfare, and we'll say a moment about it, say a word about it here in a moment. The real warfare that was going on was in the spiritual realm. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And I, I want to go ahead and tell you that I can give you absolute scriptural foundation. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Not we wrestle against flesh and blood and principalities. No, no, no. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle is not pseudo-physical, pseudo-spiritual. The battle is totally spiritual. Entirely spiritual. You understand that that the, the battle we're losing in this world today is not... And I want you to listen carefully. The battle we're losing in this world today is not a battle against the Iranians. It's not a battle against the Russians. It's not a battle against the Syrians. It's not a battle against Al-Qaeda. It's not a battle against ISIS. The, the battle we're losing today is a spiritual battle that is taking place around us. We've quit fighting for the hearts and souls of men, and we're watching what's happening around us. But understand that in your personal life, it is a spiritual attack. You say, I'm not all that spiritual, preacher. It doesn't matter. It is a spiritual attack. The onslaught of Satan is spiritual in its nature. Until you understand that, you'll never gain ground. Listen to me. You'll fight these battles, you'll move past these battles, and you'll never benefit from these battles until you understand that these are spiritual battles. You say, Preacher, I have battles in my marriage. Well, you may, but those are spiritual battles. Preacher, I have have battles at work. You may have battles at work, but those are spiritual battles. Preacher, I I have battles amongst my family. I have battles amongst my friends. I have battles amongst my finances. You may have all those things. Job had all those things. But ultimately, the battle was a spiritual battle that was taking place. And what you do with the spiritual element of that battle will determine what takes place in your life. Now, Job had some choices. 
you almost can't even fathom what he's what he's going through. I mean, somebody runs up and says, Job, the Sabians fell upon your livestock and they killed everything and everyone and anything they didn't kill, they took away. And as soon as that man is done, another runs up and says, Job, the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed what we had in the fields. A man comes after that and says, Job, the Chaldeans fell upon that which belongs to you and it's all gone. And finally another man comes and says, Job, The winds of heaven have blown and the house has fallen down upon your children and they're all dead. And I, even I alone, am escaped to tell thee. And how will Job respond? Now, let me tell you something. I think this is good because I think think his response, if it's good for his situation, I think it's good for our situations. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're enduring in life. I don't know what kind of battles that you're facing in front of you. But I promise you that there's, if there is, go ahead and speak up. If today you had a Job experience, go ahead and tell me about it. If somebody came to you and said, hey, the, the people from South Knoxville came in and stole everything in your house, tell me about it. If somebody comes in and says, hey, the folks from West Knoxville came in and raided your garage. If somebody comes in and says, hey, fire from heaven fell and consumed my car today. If somebody comes in and says, hey, my house blew over and killed all my family. Go ahead and tell me about it. But I'd venture to say none of us have endured such a calamity of affliction. So if these things are good for Job, I believe they'll be good for us too. I want you to notice three things very quickly in our Scripture and then I'll hush and close. What did Job do? when faced with these things. Well, look at verse number 20. Now, the man has come. The the bad news has been delivered. Job hadn't even buried his children yet. And Job is seated listening to this news. And the Bible says in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle. Now, you say, what are you going to preach there? Let me preach this. The first thing that Job did is he arose from his seat. Now, It's common for a person to sit when there's trouble, isn't there? Maybe somebody has called you at some time and they've asked you this, and this always, everybody knows, this makes your your heart drop into your stomach if somebody calls you on the telephone and says, are you sitting down? Maybe you've entered some kind of calamity in your life and it began by someone saying, please sit down before we tell you this. No telling how many doctors have walked out to anxious families and said, let's have a seat. While we talk about this, it's common to sit down to receive bad news. But, you know, I believe there's an application there for our life. Uh, There may have been some of us that have been knocked down by our situations. You wouldn't be the first person. You wouldn't be the first person that has come across a problem, a trial, a tragedy that is so vast that it literally knocks you out of commission when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Sometimes when we come upon difficult... I remember when I came to this church and, and somebody told me, said, we've had, you know, had a rough time. They were talking about different instances in their life. And they said, you know, it's been difficult. We just need to sit down and rest for a little while. I understand that. Let me say that there's a time to sit down, but there's a time to stand up. It's common to sit when there's problems. Don't Listen, don't feel bad if something's come along and knocked you for a loop. You ain't the first one. 
Don't feel like you're a terrible Christian if something's come along that you didn't expect and it's knocked you out of commission and it's affected your relationship with the Lord. Maybe there have been seeds of bitterness. Maybe there have been uh, juniper trees of discouragement. Maybe there have been shade trees like Jonah where you wish for the Lord to strike you dead. But let me say that you don't have to stay in that place. It's common to sit, but let me say it's comfortable to sit too and there's a danger there. There's a danger there. Oftentimes we get comfortable in the reclined position. When it comes to our spiritual... Well, let me tell you something. This thing is a battle day in and day out. And it appeals to our flesh to not fight that battle. There's some folks that say, you know, it ain't no secret. We got church and we got young people. We also got old people. Amen? And there's some people, and let me say that I praise God for the, the, the dedication and service of so many of our older people around here. That's not normal in most churches, but it's normal here. Folks that are using their retirement to serve God. But I've seen people at times, and you've seen people at times, they get to a certain age and they say, Oh, preacher, I'm just too old. I just can't do it anymore. I've seen people, and you know, you've known them and I've known them too. Now listen now, they ain't here so we can preach on them. Amen? I've known little old ladies that couldn't get out to drive, but they could make it to the beauty shop. Right? I've known little old men that they couldn't get out, and they couldn't go, but they could make it down to the Hardee's at 6 a.m. to eat a biscuit. I'm just saying this, there's a comfort in sitting back and sitting out. And you better be careful, because it'll lull you to sleep. It's common to sit when you have a tragedy. There may have been something come along. Somebody let you down. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody took a knife and put it square in your back. And you said, Preacher, I just need to sit down for a little while. Well, that's all right. But just make sure it's a little while. Because there's a time to sit, but there's a time to stand again. Let me say that it's common to sit. It's comfortable to sit, but it's courageous to stand back up. I like what Paul talks about in Philippians. And a preacher friend of mine was talking about this. And I, I liked it, so I'm stealing it. In Philippians, he talks about this. He says that some preach Christ of contention, seeking to add to my affliction. But he says this, but these things have fallen out rather, rather, unto something else, unto your salvation. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. I should have give up. They planned on adding to my affliction. They planned to knock me down for the count. When the devil came along with these things, brethren that were betraying me, afflictions that were assaulting me, discouragement that was seeking uh, to lay me low, these things were designed to knock me out of the fight and out of the game. Here I stand with shackles on my feet. Here I stand uh, with shackles on my hands. Here I stand uh, under arrest for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They thought they'd shut me up, but they couldn't shut me up. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I should have been a statistic but instead I kept on and survived the attacks of Satan. Let me say it's courageous to stand back up. You'll always have people that'll say, oh, go ahead and sit back and rest for a little while, but they won't stand with you at the judgment seat of Christ. They won't stand with you at the judgment seat of Christ. You'll stand alone that day. Let me say the first thing he did was he arose from his seat. Some of you say, preacher, I, I just sat back a little bit. Well, it's time to stand back up. It's time to get back in the saddle. It's time to start serving God. When are you going to do it if you ain't going to do it now? 
When are you going to do it if you ain't going to do it now? Truth is, if you won't do it now, you probably won't do it never. Now's the time to get back busy serving God. Let me say he arose from his seat. But number two, I want you to notice that he abased himself. This is fascinating to me. And here's why. Because I'll tell you what I would have done. And then I want to tell you what Job did. Job is sitting down. And he's hearing all of these things being told to him. He's literally listening as, as precious item, as treasures of his life are being laid into pieces. Now, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have stood up and I would have said, muster the servants. Get every single weapon that you've got. Beat our plowshares into swords. And we're going to go get them Sabians. That's what I would have said. I would have stood up and I would have said, let's get every servant together that we can. You know, Abraham had the ability to do that. When, when at the Battle of the Vale of Siddim, they took Lot, he stood up, he said, get 300 of my men, we're going to go get him back. Job didn't do that. Job didn't stand up and say, let's go whip those Chaldeans, let's go lay low those Sabians, let's go take back what is ours. Notice where his priority was. Instead of pursuing the Sabians, what did he do? He abased himself. You see, I would have stood up and said, let's go get us some Sabians. Job, he was sitting down and he, and he rose up and he took his mantle and he rent it and he shaved his head. You know what he recognized? He recognized that at that critical moment, his greatest enemy was not the Sabians. His greatest enemy was self. Let me tell you something. The greatest enemy that you face in this battle is not those people that lied about you. It's not those people that, that let you down. It's not those people that gossiped about you. Listen, your, your greatest enemy right now, if you're having affliction in your marriage, your greatest enemy, it's not your spouse. If you're having affliction in your family, every single time that we meet, it seems like we have folks praying every single time for their children or for loved ones or for nieces and nephews. And those people that spurn your love and your compassion, that reject your appeals to the gospel, they're not your enemy. You know who your greatest enemy is? Is the person you look in the mirror every day. Because those people can't make you do anything. But if you don't bring your flesh into subjection, it'll burn you down. His priority, what was it? Himself. And then I want you to notice his position. He stood up. Why did he stand up? He stood up so he could get back down. You ever stop and think about that? When Job stood up, it was for what purpose? that he might humble himself in a greater way. Let me tell you something. Some of you, you need to stand back up and get back in this thing, but not so that you can stand up good and tall and people can see who you are and talk about how great you've been. You need to do it so that you can humble yourself and be used of God. He lays down, face down on the ground. I heard a story that a preacher told about this truth. An old man of God had a young preacher seated at his feet and the young preacher asked him, said, said uh, man of God, how is it that I can keep from falling in ministry? You've been doing this thing for, for 40 years, and you, you, you've you managed to keep your life spotless from any scandal. There's never been a moment where you've quit on God and got out of the ministry. How is it that you keep from falling in this work of God? He told that young preacher, he said, I want you to lay down upon the ground. The boy got down on his knees. He said, no, 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 further. And he got down on his hands. He said, get down further. And he got down and laid with his face right against the ground. That old man said, all right, now go ahead and fall. A young boy said, well, you can't. He said, that's exactly right, son. If you keep yourself humbled before God, 
then it's impossible to fall. You know why it is we fall? It's because we place ourselves higher than we ought to in the first place. Somebody comes along and says, well, you know, that preacher, he ain't no good. That ought not bother us. You know why? Because we ain't no good. (laughs) Somebody comes along and says, well, you know, sister so-and-so, that song that she sung, it wasn't very good. That shouldn't bother us. You know why? Because we're not very good. Somebody comes along and says, well, you know, that, that, that Sunday school lesson or that sermon or that Bible lesson, that wasn't very good. How do we deal with that preacher? Well, we say, yeah, it wasn't very good. You see, I'm nothing, and anything that's worth mentioning, it's all of him and not of me. He didn't stand up that he might stay stood up. He stood up that he might lay back down. But then I want you to notice his praise. Look what it says. The Bible says that he rent his mantle. And he shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And what did he do? He worshipped. Now, what a funny response. I mean, here, here somewhere in a camp, the Sabians are enjoying his livestock. Somewhere in a camp, the Chaldeans are roasting up some of his livestock. And where does Job find himself? He finds himself on his face before God. I don't think Job did this because he's feeling like doing it. Can I say that again? I don't think Job was doing this because he felt like doing it. Let me tell you something. I, I, that's part of the reason. When people come into hard times, I see it all the time. I, see, I, I could name names of people. You'd know their names. You could look around and you could think of people uh, that this is true about. That hard times come and what do they do? They get out of the house of God. Oh, neighbor, don't do that. If there's ever a time that you need the house of God, it's when hard times come. Don't say, well, things are difficult. I'm just going to give up, stay at the house. That's the very time that you need the house of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the singing of the songs of Zion, the fellowship of God's children. That's the very time that you need. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying when trouble comes, don't move away from worship. Move towards worship. Say, preacher, I don't feel like it. Well, I don't think Job felt like it. But he had already rent his mantle. He had already shaved his head. And he had already put his flesh under subjection. He had already made up his mind that his feelings weren't going to dictate his behavior. And he was going to go on in faith and trust the Word of God. He worshipped. But let me then say a third thing. I, I see that he arose from his seat and he abased himself. But finally, I want you to notice that he acclaimed his sovereign. Now, what's Job going to say about God now? That's the question. You can imagine that maybe there were some neighbors that sat around and said, Oh, Job, you know, he's real religious. But what's he going to say about God now? Now that things have all fallen apart, what did Job say about God? I want you to notice verse 21. Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave... And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says three things that I believe we all need to keep in mind when tragedy falls in our life. I want you to notice first off, he says a word about the fleeting nature of life. He says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Now let me tell you something. I don't understand how Job could have said this, but he did say it. What a grand expression of Job's faith. That he could stand there dripping with the news of the tragedy, of the loss of everything that he held dear. And he somehow says this, 
it wasn't mine in the first place. When I entered this world, I came into this world with nothing. Like a newborn babe that enters into this environment and this atmosphere and has nothing to call his own except the parents that hold him and cherish him. He says, I came into this world naked and I'll return the same way. This life is just fleeting after all. Now, that's not said lightly. If Toby Weber was saying that to you, you might say, well, he don't understand. But how are you going to look at Job and say, Job, you don't understand? So the reason I said, if it was good enough for Job, I believe it would be good enough for anything that we're facing. You might look at me and say, preacher, you ain't been where I've been, and I've not. But how are you going to look at Job and say, Job, you've not earned the right to lecture me about the value of the treasures of life? He says, you know, after all, it was going to burn up anyway. I don't know how Job reckoned this with his family. But I do understand that within the context of what he's saying, he's acknowledging that I only had these children and I only had these goods and I only had this wealth because they were given of God. And when I left this world, I was leaving all these things just the same. He says a word about the fleeting nature of life, but I won't say that he says a word about the Father of lights that gave him those things. James gives us this truth in chapter number 1, verse 17. He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know what he says? He says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. He says, everything good I ever had, I got from God. And so I guess he has the right to take it away. Everything good that I ever had worth mentioning, it belonged to him in the first place. And it's his right to take it back. I don't know what it was like for Job to say that. I've never lost a child that we had held in our arms. But we've had our share of loss. And you know, one of the only comforting facts in the midst of all of it was this that we only had those things because God gave us those things. You say, Preacher, I worked real hard for it. Who gave you the health to work for it? Say, Preacher, they're my kids. Well, then how can... Explain to me then other folks who aren't able to have kids. The fact of the matter is, everything that we have has been bestowed upon us from the Lord. Everything. If you have a house to go home to, God's given you that. If you've got a car that brought you here tonight, God gave you that. If you have food in your pantry, God gave you that. If you've got children to love, God gave you them. If you've got grandchildren to hold, God gave you them. If you've got a spouse that loves you, God gave you that one. Hey, listen, if you've got a spouse that don't love you, God even gave you that one. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. And we don't say it lightly. Now, maybe I'd say it lightly, but Job, he ain't saying this lightly. Job is not an old man looking from the luxury of his wealth backwards over his history and saying these things. Job is a man uh, whom the flames of adversity are leaping right then at his very soul, and he finds the faith to say all of this was just a gift from God. And when he takes it away, he's not taking anything that's mine. 
because it all belongs to Him. I hope God doesn't ever take anything from you. But I know God will never take anything from you that don't belong to Him in the first place. I, listen, I hope you never have to live with suffering. I hope you never... Listen, it, it, it'd suit me fine if the Lord came back right now and everybody that you and me love knows Christ is their Savior and gets to go home to glory. There's nothing that would please me more than to see my loved ones come to know Christ and us all leave out of this world and never have to taste the bitter drink of sorrow and suffering again. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold for you, but I promise you this, that anything that's robbed away from your life It's not truly robbed, because the Lord hath given, and the Lord hath taken away. He says a word about the fleeting nature of life, and that helps him worship. He says a word about the Father of lights, and that helps him worship. Finally, he says a word about the faithfulness of the Lord that helps him worship. You know what he says? He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. I think sometimes we don't read that right. I think sometimes we read that this way, bless the Lord or bless the name of the Lord, but that's not what Job says. I know the psalmist said, bless the Lord and all that is within me. I understand, I understand, but that's not what Job says here. He doesn't say, let me bless the Lord. No, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what he's saying is this, He's saying, God was good before this happened. And I may not be able to figure it out, but because God don't change, I know God's still good after this has happened. Now, let me tell you something. I don't know how much the Lord will let me say, but you better anchor yourself to something more than the house you live in or the clothes you wear or the family that surrounds you. Because very likely there'll come a day when one, if not all of those, will forsake you. You better anchor yourself to something more than that. What did Job anchor himself to? He anchored himself to this truth that God's good. And God is good all the time. God's not just good when He's good for me. God's good all the time. God's not just good when He's good for my family. God's good all the time. You say, oh, preacher, that's not what he said. Later on, you know what he tells his wife? He says, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? You say, are you telling me that the Lord's evil? No, and Job's not telling you that either. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God's led us through some mountains, but honey, now he's leading us through some valleys. And if he's worth following over the mountains, then he's worth following through the valleys. We may not be able to figure it out, and we may not be able to reckon it, but it'd be foolish to give up on God now with all he's been and all he's done. See, Job anchored himself to this truth, that even when God wasn't good for him or good for his family or good for his finances, God was still good. You say, that don't mean nothing to me, preacher. Well, wait till calamity comes. Wait till all those things you're dependent on fall away and you need something to be anchored to. You might find that that's a precious truth to you. That even when the sun doesn't shine, even when the clouds hang so low that they dizzy your head, even when you come to a place where your own soul seems to mock and laugh at your trials, you're going to need something other than yourself or your religion or your finances or some other nonsense to hang to.
What can I anchor to, preacher? You can anchor to this, that God was good before all that happened. And since God don't change, anybody, an element... Children, what's the one of the first things they learn? They learn that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the first things that they learn when they learn catechisms, if they take them in Bible class, one of the first things that I learned when I was a little bitty boy in Bible class was that God does not change. God's the same all the time. Say, it don't look that way. Well, are you going to trust your eyes or are you going to trust His Word? Preacher, it don't feel that way. Are you going to trust your feelings or you can trust His Word. Why do you think it was that Job had to subdue his flesh? Job understood that he had to make a choice which he was going to listen to. He had to make a choice if he was going to listen to the way he felt or listen to how he knows God to be. So when those times come, listen, don't run from the house of God. Run to the house of God. Don't run from the prayer closet. Run to the prayer closet. Don't run out and fly mad and fight somebody you think the enemy is. Look in the mirror and see who the real enemy is. It's, listen, it's not that the Sabians and Chaldeans weren't an enemy. It's that they weren't the enemy. Job understood there was an enemy a lot closer to home he had to fight first. And that enemy was self. Don't go fly mad at somebody. Take, go ahead and just humble yourself. Lay yourself out before a holy God and make your mind up right then and there that God was good before and because God don't change, God must be good now no matter what I think about it. And find the wisdom of worship to be your help and comfort in those times. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, the altar is open. And you you come now. If God's dealt with your heart, you come now. You don't have to wait. You slip out of your seat and come right now. I'm under attack, preacher. Well, you're under a spiritual attack then. Preacher, it don't feel like a spiritual attack. Well, it is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Preacher, somebody lied about me. That's not who your enemy is. Preacher, somebody said something ugly about me. Preacher, I've had strife in my marriage. Preacher, I've had difficulty along the way. Preacher, my family has hurt me. That's not who your enemy is. That's not who your enemy is. Your enemy is that person you see in the mirror. You can't do anything about them. God will handle them. But you better fight the enemy that stares back at you every morning and looks at you in the mirror. You better get serious about this thing because it's a battle to be won or it's a battle to be lost. I know one day Jesus is coming back. I know one day everything's going to be set right. But let's not kid ourselves. There are battles right now that we're either going to win or we're going to lose. And there's much on the line.